Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the programme, three now we are in a couple of minutes going to be uh, discussing what now, as it turns out, uh, was the government comfortably defeating a motion from uh, Sinn Féin to extend the uh, eviction ban. Uh, this time yesterday, I would have thought that that vote was going to go down to the wire, but it, uh, it was it was certainly from the government's point of view, a very comfortable uh, win. But of course, because the, 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 that win went through for the government, not that the motion would have made any difference, the eviction ban was going to go ahead anyway. There's lots of newspaper coverage. You're seeing it on the news, on TV, you're hearing it on radio. Stories of people who are really, really frightened for the end of this month and once the start of April kicks in and people who have valid notices to quit where they are living at the moment and that they know they have to vacate the property that they're in and people desperately scrambling to try to find any available property to uh, rent. And a story that is, I suppose, really showing just how desperate the housing crisis is, especially if you're trying to privately uh, rent. And it's a story out of Dublin. It actually, I saw it on the news last night, but it's making a lot of the papers again uh, today. And it includes people who were facing eviction, were among 530 30 applicants who registered with an estate agent for interest in renting uh, a single property in Dublin City. Wednesday afternoon, about 30 selected families, couples and individuals queued outside the premises to take a look around the apartment. It's a two bedded apartment in Dublin 8 and the rent 2,100 a month. All of those that turned up for the viewing are those that were lucky enough to be selected to turn up for the viewing, spoke of their hope, their frustration and their despair. One said, we've been looking for a house for over two months. We've received no response. Daft.ie doesn't work. And then on Facebook, the fear is that there's a lot of scams going doing the round, said one woman that really is scary. Another man who's been ordered to leave the current house that he is renting at the end of this month says he's feeling very worried now about simply not being able to find another place to live. And another woman who didn't want to speak uh, publicly uh, yesterday uh, attended the viewing with her two little boys. She has to leave the home with the two boys by the end of this week. Week and despite searching now for a full month, this was the first viewing she was invited to. And Derek Brock is the estate agent for this particular property in uh, Dublin. Speaking to the Irish Daily Mail this morning, says that he often receives over 1,500 applicants for just one 
single property. He said every day the office is getting hundreds of people responding to ads either directly online or directly ringing the office. He said a two bedroom department in Dublin, he said they can get 500 applicants for people saying please consider me for renting of this apartment and he said they can get 500 applicants in an hour. He said guaranteed within 48 hours that figure can reach triple that 1,500 people looking to rent just one two-bedroomed apartment. He said often other properties, they don't even put it up on the market. Or they, he says that's a variety of reasons. He said in some cases uh, clients want to sell it or they want to move back in themselves. Or he said in other cases they'll have tenants on their books that they know that urgently need to be rehoused. And he said other times they'll meet tenant, tenants similar to that viewing that he was at on, on a Wednesday. And while he's got the tough decision of between the 30 families or individuals that came up, he's got to decide who he's going to rent the property to. But obviously he'll make note of people who you know he feels really genuine people who are really desperate for homes and that if then another property comes up say in the coming week rather than advertise it he'll contact the person that he met at one of the viewing and actually it was interesting when that estate agent Derek Brock was asked to comment on the government's refusal to extend the eviction ban he said I don't have a say in whatever the government decides he said I just have to react and adapt and I was when when I was listening and reading about that uh, story yesterday I was thinking about it must be very tough on estate agents at the moment because they must be hearing the most heartbreaking story I mean I can imagine that woman who obviously took her two children out of school with her on Wednesday to go along to that viewing imagine going into the estate agent you know with two little boys in tow saying you know I'm going to have nowhere to live at the end of this week please consider me for rent of this apartment you know can you imagine having to make that decision if you have two three or four even more uh, similar stories and you're trying to decide who who should you put the roof over whose head it must be really really tough on estate agents at the moment and then the government's plans to free up uh, additional rental uh, properties has been hit uh, as by, by the fresh blow with the EU last night and this is to do with the registering of the Airbnbs and the government were hoping by this new Airbnb register they were hoping that about 12 thousand additional rental properties would come out of the Airbnb market and would instead uh, go in and f- for long term uh, leasing but the EU now has delayed it's this short term letting register until December the government had initially hoped to have the laws here underpinning the register enacted by the end of this month and then they'd hoped that the register would be up and running shortly after that now it was last December that the cabinet signed off on plans for this new register and they did it in the hope of clamping down on property owners renting out homes on Airbnb and other short-term letting sites for periods of time longer than they're supposed to do it. The proposals at the time were bought by the Tourism Minister uh, Catherine Martin and the Irish Independent today is quoted as saying that they have previously uh, reported on the high number of homes on Airbnb being rented out to tourists while there are very few numbers available for long-term rentals and you'll often see that in the papers. They'll, you know, pick a particular area you know they might say uh, pick an area like uh, Killarney and they might say there is only you know there could be 200 Airbnb 
houses available for rent and there'll only be six available for long term rent and for people who need to, to buy a home and that's been reflected all over the country so the government were hoping by forcing people who own an Airbnb to register it that it might change their minds and might make them go into long term rental instead. Councils all over the country have been slow to clamp down on short term rentals that they do not have the required planning permission so the European Commission brought forward the proposals for this common registration system for all short-term rentals and it's to be done right across Europe. In December the government submitted its bill to the EU Commission for consideration and then as a result a standstill period kicked in which meant the proposed Irish laws couldn't be enacted. However the EU Commission told the Department of Tourism yesterday that it's now been delayed until December and until this period has lapsed it means the new laws can't be enacted and then the register can't be put in place. So it's unclear now when the register will be in place if the laws will only get the green light from the EU in December there'll obviously be a period of time after that before the register comes in so certainly for owners of Airbnbs there will be a sigh of relief but not for the government because they're scrambling to find any additional properties for rent and they really hoped that they could free up uh, 12,000 by this new uh, register Now I did see the Fianna Fáil Senator Malcolm Byrne he's actually a member of the Oireachtas Tourism Committee and he was saying that the next nine months now need to be used to make sure that we get this scheme right. He said everybody wants to maximise the number of long-term rental properties and particularly when we have a, a housing crisis. But he says we also cannot seriously damage rural and coastal tourism in the process. And I think that's a valid point because we've already seen that in some tourist destinations where hotels have been taken over by the government to house either Ukrainian uh, refugees or asylum seekers. And already there are people worried about what's going to happen this summer if we don't have enough tourism uh, beds. So if we force too many of the Airbnb owners out of business, will the knock-on effect be, while there will be long-term rentals available for people to live in, but will the knock-on effect be that the tourism industry in that area uh, would be really affected. Uh, Malcolm Burns said he'd spoken to a lot of rural tourism operators who are concerned about the how the proposals are going to be implemented. Now, under the laws, it, it, when they do come in, it would mean that the short-term letting website would actually be fined €5,000 if they didn't remove ads from properties that weren't officially registered. The landlords themselves, um, they would be fined if they uh, didn't have their property registered and could also end up in court. But anyway, there's a stalemate on that and it certainly has been put on hold and we won't be hearing anything more about that uh, until at least uh, December of this year. On uh, housing, uh, Patricia we were all frightened when Covid came and we thought nothing could be as bad the housing crisis is going to be a lot worse. Watch this space, says John, who says we've nobody to blame only ourselves for this housing crisis. It's our generosity for other people coming into the country. It's starting to bite hard now, says John. John, in fairness we had a housing crisis way before the Ukraine situation happened and the refugees um, arrived. The housing crisis, we haven't been building enough houses for the last 10, 15 years and that's the housing crisis that is coming to bite now. And then somebody else, when we were talking about people who are just so uh, scared of the next coming weeks and months as they're scrambling to find another place to live when they know that they're going to have to leave the property that are currently renting. Somebody said, whatever happened to people living in mobile homes, we lived in one once upon a time when we didn't have a house and it was the happiest, most carefree days of our lives. And I'm sure there probably are people living in mobile homes. But the problem with the mobile home is where you're going to push it. I mean, I know 
I certainly would have known uh, friends of mine and family members of mine who back in the day when they were building a house they would have bought their site they would have put a mobile home onto the site and they would have lived in the mobile home while they were building uh, their house and I've and, you know and I've heard of people who've put a mobile phone and uh, mobile home into you know a family space on land in somebody's garden whatever if you have the space for it but it's where you'd actually put the mobile home I think is the problem but for sure for sure people are living in mobile homes those that are who cannot literally cannot find find any place else to live. God knows we're hearing of people who are sleeping in their own cars. They are so desperate. And then Michael on the uh, what happened last night in the uh, the motion to to end to, to extend the eviction ban this motion that was brought forward by Sinn Féin Michael and Castanbeer are critical of Sinn Féin he said what a charade in the parliament of this country this week by Sinn Féin what a cost to the taxpayer they should be known as the demolition party they agree with nothing and object to everything block anything uh, that they call progress put down motions in parliament that they know will never get through and all it does is cause maximum dis- destruction waste of uh, waste as much time as possible repeating the same sentences over and over again. Absolutely not a single positive sentence, only nastiness of the highest level. Is that the government that Ireland needs? I ask thanking you. And that's from Michael by WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. Let's take a break and let's come back and discuss that. The government defeating the Sinn Féin motion on extending the eviction ban. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. After a day of debating a Sinn Féin motion to extend the eviction ban beyond March 31st, the government won the vote, thanks in the main to the support from the regional independent group. To talk us through the events of yesterday, I'm joined by Adam Higgins, political correspondent with the Irish Sun. Good morning to you, Adam. Morning. Uh, you're welcome to the programme. Now, was it a nervous day yesterday for the coalition uh, leaders, even though the vote in the end didn't go down to the wire, as some people had predicted? Yeah, so th- so when you speak to some of the, the government TDs over the past few days before the vote, there was a bit of nervousness around the House in that they thought it might have been closer than it was. Uh, some of the government leaders had been bullish in their public statements, Leo Varadkar in particular, saying that the government would get through this and that his government was going to, was built to last and that they won't go, the opposition won't go to take them down on this. But uh, I think that number, the, the extent to which they, they won the vote was uh, surprising to a lot of people. And I think that's largely down to the six independent TDs that the government managed to bring on side. We know the housing minister was kind of held talks with some of the independent TDs yesterday. They wanted to get a couple of amendments into the government's counter motion to Sinn Féin, which added in things like a commitment to uh, a tax package in the next gov- in the next budget for small uh, landlords and that sort of a thing. But of course, the critics are still saying that this move is going to result in uh, record levels of uh, homelessness. I mean, is that now inevitable? Yeah, I think there's two numbers that we need to keep an eye on here when it comes to monitoring how this eviction ban and lifting it has uh, affected the homeless and the housing situation. So the first number is at the end of every month, the last Friday of every month, the Department of Housing publishes the uh, homeless, the official homeless number figures. So they are at a record high at the moment and they've been growing over the past couple of months, higher, much more than when the government came into place, which says a lot about the housing for all strategy and how slow it's been to, to really start making an impact. 
And I think we need to keep an eye on that over the next few months, in particularly uh, in June, July and August, to see if this kind of tsunami of homeless that the opposition uh, warning will come about, if that is. Now, the other number to keep an eye on is the RTB. Uh, they take in, they get notifications when a landlord has sent an eviction notice to their tenant. Um, the last time, the three months that before the uh, eviction ban was put in place, that's July, August and September, there was 4,700 eviction notices sent, which is much higher than any usual quarter. And that caused a lot of panic in, uh, in government circles and opposition circles because it kind of it foretells that a lot of people will be made homeless. Now, the other argument is that there's been housing coming on stream in the meantime. So over the past couple of months, there will have been new apartment blocks opening and house, housing estates opening and places that people could buy or, or places that have been bought that will now go on to the rental market. That's the argument that the, the Taoiseach gave yesterday in the doll. But really, when you go onto the websites like Daft.E, there is not a lot of options out there for people to rent. So I think once this ban is lifted on the phased manner up until, I think, the middle of June, I think it's going to get very difficult that summer for the government when you see these numbers coming in. Yeah, because I spoke, Adam, at the top of the programme about that story out of Dublin of that two-bedroomed apartment that went up for uh, rent in Dublin 8. And, like, well, 30 families or individuals were, were selected uh, to go to view it, but 530 people applied for it. Yeah, and, and that's something that you hear time and time again, uh, of uh, especially from the housing agencies and places that will, like, you know, uh, an agency that puts a property up on DAF, they have to take it down a week later because too many people are applying. There's so much, they get flooded with queries that they haven't got the time to go through them all. So you don't see a lot of properties staying on the web. And what you see now is a property goes up for a week, comes down for a couple of days while the agency goes through all these applications. And then if they don't find a successful application, it goes back up. And it's really just uh, show, shows the, the hunger out there and the need for uh, rental properties. Will there be increased pressure put on local authorities now to expand the tenant in situ scheme? Yes, um, the, this is going to be uh, problematic, I think, because the, the government seems to be using this as one of its big, um, even though it was a last minute measure, they, they, this didn't, we, we had this uh, eviction ban in place for three months and there was no word about this until literally the week that they made the decision to get rid of it. And then they came out with this, oh, we're going to bring, you know, really up the tenants situ scheme and there's going to be 1,500 houses bought through it. But we saw in the in the, the housing committee this week, one of the local councils was in, and they said that even with the government's new you know plan to to give more money to councils to buy these, it's not going to speed it up dramatically. And that's the councils themselves saying that that it takes too long to buy these homes, that this isn't going to speed it up dramatically. And I think that's a real worry for people who you know might be taking some comfort from the, if you have an eviction notice coming and you might be taking some comfort a bit from the government saying that, oh, well, maybe they'll buy my house. It doesn't seem to be as quick as that. It doesn't seem to be as easy as the government simply buying the house and you stay in it and that's, and that's everything, you know, boxed off nice and quickly. It seems to be a difficult pr- uh, process for the council to be able to buy these homes. And I think really what needs to happen is that needs to be streamlined a, a lot and made a lot quicker and easier for the councils. OK, one of our listeners was wondering about the Sinn Féin motion yesterday. The fact that the motion was non-binding, was it just a waste of time? Uh, that's a fair fair comment because really if this motion had a won, it would have done nothing to the eviction ban and it would have just embarrassed the government. But And I think Sinn Féin are probably admit that themselves because... 
what we heard last night was that Sinn Féin are planning to next week table a second motion that will be binding, that will be more clear-cut. And effectively, the next motion that uh, Sinn Féin are putting forward next week will say do, to all the TDs in, in the House, do you want the eviction ban to stay or do you want it to be lifted? Now, what that does is puts a lot of pressure on those independent TDs that backed up the government because they kind of hid behind their amendments that they won off the government on things like we mentioned earlier on with the, the tax for small landlords in the next budget and things like that. Those amendments won't be able to uh, made for this uh, motion next time. So I think it put a little bit more pressure on those independent TDs. But I think it's fair to say that it's, it's, well, I wouldn't call it a waste of time because I think it does put pressure on the government to go and do these things. For example, the amendments that the independent TDs won yesterday off the housing minister, those are changes that the government weren't necessarily going to make, but they have been forced to make because of this motion. Yeah, and the one on the fair deal, allowing people to keep all of the rental income from fair deal, even though I, I see Minister Mary Butler is up in arms about that because she wasn't uh, consulted. Yes, that was kind of a tricky one. And uh, so just in layman's terms, what it means is that if a house is gone to the fair deal scheme from someone who's gone into a nursing home, usually that house would sit empty for the whole time. But now the the amendment is that the government would let those houses be rented out and so that the, the tenants, the, the person that owns it that's in the nursing home would be making some money out of it and the house doesn't sit there idle the whole time which is a, a good idea really mm. but the issue here is that the, the mental health minister and the minister for all the people Barry Butler wasn't consulted on this and and it's within her kind of house to, to, to make these sort of decisions so I, I suppose that shows you how kind of scrambling the government war to find fixes to win those independent TDs on that they didn't even you know acknowledge the minister that's in charge Okay what now for uh, NASA uh, Horrigan no surprise she voted against uh, the government the Green Party Minister No no the Green Party Minister NASA Horrigan has voted against her government a couple of times in the past and what we've seen yet last night is that this was her, uh, I think, her third time to vote against the government. And the Green Party have, in the past, given her a six-month kind of ban from the party on the back of this. But they've really went hard and given her a 15-month ban this time because it's how many times she has voted against the government. So, effectively, what that means is she's frozen out of the party for 15 months. She has no access to the Green Party speaking time in the door. She has no access to the parliamentary party meetings. And she also also loses her position as chair of one of the Oireachtas committees, which is worth about €10,000 as well. OK, and uh, we can we expect a similar win, uh, Adam, for the government at the next week's No Confidence motion that's been tabled by the Labour Party? What's your instinct on that? I think it'll probably be a little bit tighter. So we have the Labour Party No Confidence motion, and then we have the second Sinn Féin motion on the eviction ban. So there's two party motions that are going to test the government's majority again next week. But I think they will win them. But what you might see is a couple of those independents that were won over yesterday, they might drift because of the, the nature of these um, of the no confidence motion and, and what it means for them. But if you look at those numbers, even without the six that they had yesterday, the six independents, 83 to 68, they still would have beaten this motion on their own with their own numbers. So I think the government will beat those motions next week, but it might be just a little bit closer. Yeah, and obviously the independents now have a fairly strong hand. They obviously are going to get all kinds of promises for their constituencies if votes do go down to the wire. Yeah, we haven't really heard any sort of kind of parish pump sort of politics around it, but 
Uh, no doubt those talks will be going on in the background. Really what the independents were looking for yesterday was commitments on housing policy, which they won. They won several commitments on housing policy. And I think, uh, yeah, they have. it does give them a stronger hand now going into next week. Although the government could argue that, well, we have the numbers without you. But the problem is then if a couple of TDs go missing, if a couple of TDs turn the government could be in a, a difficult position. And if they lose a no-confidence motion, it looks like it, it will go to a general election. But I don't see that happening. I see the government beating this next week, but maybe by a little bit tighter margin than the 83 to 68 that we saw last night. OK, and very finally, Adam, was the Kerry Independent adult deputy, Danny Healy Ray, was that a surprise vote? He's with the Rural Independent Group and he was the only one of the Rural Independent Group to vote with the government. Was that a surprise? It was a surprise because even his brother, Michael Healy Ray, went uh, with Sinn Féin on it. And I, I was trying to think last night, the last time that two uh, siblings were in the doll and voted different ways. Uh, and I couldn't I couldn't remember one. Maybe it's the first time in history that it's happened. And um, I, I don't know what Danny Healy Ray's thinking is there on that, whether he was part of that independence deal or whether he's just voting off his own back and he thinks that... Uh, the eviction ban should go. I'm not sure because his brother, Michael Healy Ray, is obviously the biggest landlord in the doll and he voted to keep the eviction ban. OK, all right, we leave it there. Uh, Adam, thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Adam Higgins, who is a political correspondent uh, with the Irish Sun. Dog owners in Cork could soon be legally required to carry bags to pick up and dispose of fouling under new bylaws set to be introduced across the city and county. Uh, North Cork uh, councillor Noel McCarthy says dog fouling is an ongoing issue and uh, he joins me. Good morning to you, Noel. Good morning, Patricia. And you're very welcome to the programme. Can you firstly just outline uh, for us how these new bylaws would actually operate? Well, uh, first of all, Patricia, thanks for having me on. And um, last Monday, we had an order meeting of our Cork County Council in Mallow. And the director for the environmental section gave us a report. And I got the opportunity to raise about, as I said, the ongoing problem. And it's getting worse, Patricia, of dog fouling. In, not just in for my municipal or for my town, all over the county, and, I, and I'm sure all over the country. But we asked to know, I asked to know, could some more be done rather than what we have in place at the moment and to make dog owners aware of their responsibility? And, it, and I said, one of my ideas was that I got from a friend of mine said that over in Australia, that there, it was compulsory for dog owners to carry bags. So I suggested that to the director and he gave me a good response by saying to us all at the meeting that, yes, there's new bylaws coming in. Bags will be hopefully in, introduced in the bylaws to be compulsory. And I thought that was great news because at least it shows that we're doing a bit more than we're doing now. Because I want to compliment the, the dog owners that are doing the right thing, the majority, Patricia, in the case, but there is a small minority out there that don't do the right thing, that don't clean up after their dogs, leaving someone else to, to, to clean up after them or in, in most cases walking on it and being upset and it's causing a lot of upset to people in, in all towns and villages as I say all over the country and it's getting wow. so we need to do more than we're doing and I think this will be a start and hopefully other bylaws will follow from that 
And and I can actually vouch that it works extremely well in Australia. I've been over there a couple of times um, while visiting my sister-in-law and her family and they have a dog. And I, on more than one occasion, I was out with her while we were walking the dog and we were stopped by a dog warden. Have you got your dog bags? They checked. She had a little container that was clipped on to her dog's lead and it wasn't just good enough to point to the little container. The dog warden made us open the container to prove that there was bags inside and then we were left off on our merry way. And I also saw somebody else being issued with a fine because they didn't have any dog bags uh, with them. But to me, enforcement is the key. If we're going to introduce this, we're going to need more dog wardens. Without a doubt, Patricia, you made a very good point. And I want to compliment the dog wardens we have. In our own area, we have Nuna McNamara, who's superb, great to work with, but they're limited in what they can do. And they do need more help and more staff. And I think that has to happen. If we introduce these laws, we must have more staff and enforcement must be the most. If It won't work without enforcement, Patricia. It mm. just won't. And but, for people, but, as you mentioned, the responsible ones, for people who, you know, who always go and carry their bags and clean up after their dogs, there is another issue onto that. It's disposing of them when you clean up after your dog. It's equally as important. Yes, and that's a very good point as well, Patricia, because, as I say, most people do the right thing. I want to compliment also the people that collect the bins on behalf of the council staff, because it's not a nice job, as you can imagine, especially in the summertime. But some people go to the bottom of cleaning up after their dogs, putting it into a bag, but they don't tie it. And then they sometimes, like, we get the, we get the, the, the people saying, oh, there's not enough bins. But if there is not enough bins in that area, particularly area you're walking your dog, well, then you must take it to the next one or take it home with you. But you can't just throw it in the ditch or on the sidewalk for someone else to pick it up because that's only adding to the problem rather than fixing it. So we need maybe more bins, more wardens, but please tie the bag properly. And if there's not a bin in that particular spot, take it to the next one or take it home. But it's, not, it's totally unfair for people to come out. One woman rang me, as I said, three weeks ago, crying on the phone. She got destroyed with dog bowling. Ah. She said, our streets are destroyed. And it's totally upsetting for everyone to be putting up with this, Patricia. And I take and it, Noel, point- that all councillors, there, there isn't a councillor on Cork County Council, Cork City Council, I imagine nationwide, that don't hear similar complaints from local people. Without a doubt, and I want to compliment all my colleagues in Cock County Council, because I know it comes up not just for me. Or every time there's a meeting, whether it's a district meeting, will council an order meeting, my colleagues will raise the matter, because they're, they're getting the cause the same as I am, and we're trying to work together with the executive to find solutions. And the other one that concerned me as well, Patricia, and this is why I really brought it up on Monday, was the final evenings are coming. And I read somewhere lately where someone actually sent it to me about the diseases that we got from dog fouling. Mm. And the young people will be out, the kids out in the green areas in their estates or, or fields nearby. And people are still leaving dogs out early in the morning, late at night to do their business into a, near, a green area where kids are going playing and having a good time after. And the diseases associated with falling on dog fouling or dog poo and rubbing it on your face or eat your eyes, God forbid, is unbelievable when I read it. I was really, really concerned when I read it. 
It's, yeah. it's so it is. Yeah, it, it, this is more than just a litter issue. It, it's, it's a health hazard um, uh, for sure. Will this require legislation or will the council simply be able to introduce it, this compulsory nature of getting people to bring their bags with them when they go out? No, it will have to be legislation. It will have to go through for a full council. It will have to be a procedure to follow. But I'm hoping that will all be done in due course. And I think, as you said, both I and my colleagues will be pushing for this to happen. We, and I said, there's probably other ideas. Well, another person gave me an idea as well, Patricia, that in Spain, she said, no, I think I saw it myself. They have their dog set out in Australia. People bring their bags, but they also bring a small bottle of water. So if the dog does his business or, you know, that they can wash it off with their bottle of water. So I thought that was an excellent idea mm. as well. So, you know, we can learn from the continent and places like Australia as well about how they have tackle the problem of dog bowling. Yeah, and learn from actually that. Spain have yeah. um, dog parks where you bring your dogs and the dogs can run around. Now, a- again, in the dog parks, the owners themselves clean up after after their own dogs, but dogs can socialise with each other. And I, I always think it's a, it's a fantastic uh, concept. It's like a play park, but it's a play park for dogs. So you won't have children uh, in there, obviously. But, you know, anything like that that can work, that can get dogs somewhere where they can get their exercise without allowing them to foul all over the, our, our streets and footpaths. And, and that's another good idea. There are everything we must look at, but we must go the step further. As I said, the wardens are, are um, you know, there's a lack of them and they can only do so much. Actually, to find someone, as far as I know, you have to catch the dog in the act. Yeah, that's the And the owner then, but it's nearly impossible because yeah. sometimes they leave the dogs off the, the lead and, you know, you're, and I say, even if they're stopping, they nearly deny that they want the dog. So they have a lot of problems to, to sort out, to do the, to get a fine issued. But hopefully the bag, a compulsory carrying a bag and so on, will help will the help. dog yeah. one. And anything, listen, yeah. anything that helps has got to be welcomed. Uh, no, just while yeah. I have you on the line, because I know you were at the Joint Policing uh, Committee meeting uh, this week. The issue of that uh, gentleman, Lord Mercy and Tim O'Sullivan, whose remains were found in the boarded up house in Mallow was uh, raised. Uh, because I know at the time when that story broke, people were saying, oh, why are Cork County Council not inspecting going into boarded up properties? But seemingly you don't have the right to do that. No, and it, I, I came up at our meeting last week and it, 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 I can understand why it's his private property. The council has to have a reason to go in because of someone else's property. And sometimes, you, you know, I find it in our tidy towns in here. Oh, there's a house derelict and you go to clean it or do something with it. Someone will all repair, oh, I own that, don't touch it, or have your permission. So the council has that problem as well. No, I'm sure if the council, like has happened in our town and other towns, if there's a health and safety issue, with a certain building. Well, then, on health and safety grounds, they could seek uh, an order to go in to inspect the premises. But that would be the only way if they could do it, because they couldn't do it, as was outlined to us last week at the meeting, if to someone else's property. And that is a concern. But I'm sure if there's a health and safety issue or if people, general public, have, have a concern about a certain building, well, then I'm sure the council would definitely check into it. Yeah, that's different, but they Definitely. don't have a right just to go into every single no. boarded up property no. and seemingly it's only at the very late stages of a compulsory purchase order process that the inspections then are carried out and obviously that's what happened in Mr O'Sullivan's uh, case. Alright, listen, uh, Noel, I'm just glad to clarify that. Listen, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. 
Thank you for having me on, Patricia. Thank Good you. morning to you. Bye bye. That is uh, from Moy based uh, Councillor Noel uh, McCarthy. And welcome your thoughts on that proposal that Noel is talking about that anyone who has a dog, if you're bringing your dog out for a walk, the law would be that you must have your poop bags with you and you can be stopped by a dog warden and if you don't have the means to clean up after your dog then you can be fined. Would people welcome that and would you see that as part of the solution to try to end the scourge that we have and it's not just a scourge that we have here in Cork City and County it's a nationwide issue of dog fouling. We've got wonderful responsible pet owners who will always clean up after their dogs but unfortunately uh, we also have an, an even just a minority doing it can ruin it for everybody else. So is that the way to go to actually start fining people if you're stopped and they don't have dog bags, poop bags with them to clean up after their dogs? You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A lot of your texts coming in to do with the eviction ban, to do with homelessness, to do with dogs. Here in the midst of it all is a text in from a mum looking for some advice, please, for her son, for her son, who's in a bit of a pickle and a bit of a dilemma. Can anybody offer advice here? Hi, Patricia. My son started a car mechanic apprenticeship in January. It's his dream job. So he was absolutely thrilled. He was on a four week trial during this time. He was doing the required tasks and was delighted with himself up to his elbows in oil and always a big smile on his face every day. It's priceless as a mother to see your child so happy. After his trial, they offered him the full apprenticeship as they were very happy with him. Then the problems started. He failed the colour vision test. We even went to Dublin to do more an extensive colour vision test, but sadly he failed that too. So the garage had no other choice. They simply couldn't keep him on as an apprentice. He's absolutely devastated and I'm heartbroken that his dream job has been taken away from him. In the meantime, we found out that in the north of Ireland, colourblind apprentices can continue with colour-corrected glasses, but not here in the south. It seems so cruel and so unfair to us. I wonder, would anyone have any advice for me, please? I'd like prefer to keep my details anonymous, if that's OK, as my son wouldn't like a fuss. Ah. Oh. Bless. Yeah, because when I started reading the text, I was thinking, can you can get those colour, those special glasses that you wear that corrects for people with colour blindness? Now, I know one of the jobs you can't do if you're colour blind is a pilot. And I don't even think the corrective glasses uh, are, allow- are allowed. But I didn't realise that the colour correct glasses would stop you being an apprentice in the south. And it seems bizarre. You can be an apprentice in the north. And I'm assuming if you can be an apprentice in the north, you probably can be an apprentice. The rules are the same across the UK. But unfortunately, here in the Republic, we don't allow somebody who pass, who fails the colour vision test. And even if they opt to wear the glasses, they're not allowed to work. So the call goes out to any garages out there. Is there any way around this? Is there anything that this young lad can do? But to think that he had landed his dream job. Obviously the garage must be gutted as well because garages are all the time looking for good apprentices and the fact that he seemed to have sailed through the four week trial to the point that the garage wanted to offer him the full time apprentice. They could see that this young lad had a passion Uh, and particularly when it's something that he always wanted to do. My heart just goes out to you as the mom, but also to your son as well. So let's throw the phone lines open, texts, whatsapps emails if anyone has any possible advice or 
any solutions as to how this young lad can get around this so that he can get somehow back in to doing the job that he's always wanted to do to become a mechanic but he has failed the colour vision test which I'm assuming means he's colour blind 0818 103 103 if anyone has any advice please to offer we spoke about dog fouling in the last hour with Councillor Noel uh, McCarthy. Some of your comments in at that in on that. Hi Patricia, I am here shouting at the radio listening to you speak to Councillor Noel McCarthy. Uh, talk about more bylaws. Oh my God, use the laws that are already in place. Do something about the ongoing desperate cruelty that is ongoing. We don't enforce the laws that are already in place. And I did make that point even on this idea of having the compulsory bags with you. That'll only work if there's enforcement and enforcement will only work if we have a lot more dog wardens out and about doing their job. Someone else says we must be the only country in the world that allows dogs on our beaches. Mm, We're not. I mean, I know Devon is an area I know quite well in England because my brother lives there and they have beautiful beaches in Devon as we have beautiful beaches here in Ireland. But they have specific beaches that you can bring your dogs on and then they have the beaches that you can't bring your dogs on. So there are ways around it. But I know the point you're making that we allow dogs on beaches where families are also out having uh, fun. Hi Patricia, I walk my dog every day in the Ballin Temple area and around that general environs and it's disgusting. All the dog poo, it's all over the place. I find, says Anne, it's mostly men who don't clean up after their dogs. I offered a bag to somebody one day and I won't repeat what I was told to do with it. I was only being kind. Also at times, I sometimes feel embarrassed if I'm walking past dog poo while I'm out with my dog in case people think it was my dog and that I didn't clean up after the dog. But obviously you are a responsible pet owner, Anne, and you do everything that is required of you. But it's the irresponsible ones that certainly are ruining it for everybody uh, else. Okay, on the eviction and what we have been speaking about this morning and the government uh, getting past the Sinn Féin motion to end the eviction ban. Some of your thoughts in. Hi Patricia what do listeners think of the eviction vote in the government last evening? I am fuming that they won this vote as I as I had hoped we would have an election but remember this motion was non-binding. We wouldn't have gotten an election out of this motion but anyway I think this government have lost all respect from the public to think families could end up being homeless within a matter of weeks. All this government seemed to be doing is back slapping. The independents and the TDs and the backbenchers who are all in it to win votes. It's gone beyond a joke. Now we need to get rid of them. Please never again vote for them. Thank you. I enjoy your programme. Thank you for that. Uh, Michael says we need to dramatically reduce the tax burden on people who have one and two property lets. Taking in excess of 50% of your rental income and the rest has to go in tax is very disheartening, especially for small scale landlords. You can let a farm of land for up to 15 years and you pay little or no tax on that income. It's time for the government to cop on, says Michael. Well, Michael, you'd be glad to hear it was one of the promises that the regional independent group of TDs who backed the government yesterday, all bar one, I think Verona Murphy was the only one who didn't. Um, They got a series of amendments and that's one of them was that is how landlords, particularly the small landlords, how they are taxed. It's going to be looked at it in the next uh, government. Now, I don't know how much of their rental income they're going to be allowed to keep, but it certainly is one of the things that is going to be on the table. But that's not going to happen until the next 
budget. William in Mitchellstown says, how do the independent TDs who voted with the government feel, feel today? Men, women and children will be out on the road without a roof over their head due to this uh, ban being lifted. Marion and Bandon says, while the ban was welcomed, particularly during the lockdowns during the pandemic, uh, it should not have ended. It should have ended when things opened up. I feel no matter when this eviction ban was lifted, this, we would still have this, uh, the same reaction. The ban couldn't go on forever because ultimately by having the ban in place you're controlling people who own a property and you're saying you can't do anything with your property so yeah I think everybody accepts the ban couldn't go on forever but some marrying will say it's the timing of it. Eleanor and Carrie Galine said, oh, this is on when somebody says that they lived many years ago in a mobile home and had spent very carefree years living in a mobile home. And why are people not moving into mobile homes? Uh, Eleanor said, just to let people know, it's harder to get planning permission for a mobile home on a site than it is to actually build a house. You can't just simply buy a mobile home and plant it anywhere you want. You still have to get clearance from the authorities. Is, isn't that simple a uh, solution? And actually somebody else was in. Michael was also in on mobile homes. Uh, he thinks mobile homes is a good solution as well. The, he says the county council have acres and acres of ground lying empty. They have acres of land in almost every town in the country. In a matter of weeks, they could have several areas laid out for mobile homes. And of course, modern day mobile homes are fully insulated. Michael said he's raised this issue over and over again with Cork County Council, but nobody seems to uh, pick up on it. So have kind of mobile home, a little bit like what we have uh, in in coastal areas and in tourist areas where you have mobile home and caravan parks. As I don't think Michael is thinking long term, but certainly where we have a housing crisis, could we look at mobile home parks and open up them while we deal with the housing crisis and while we build all the extra houses that are needed? It's it's something I think anything at this stage that can get people out of emergency accommodation and stop people living in a hotel bedroom or a B&B or in a hostel I think anyone would prefer it's not ideal to live in a mobile home but I think I'd take a mobile home over living with my family inside in a a hotel a bedroom Hi this is from thanks Michael for that Tony says Hi I'm a landlord I rent a house just the one house it's a house I lived in myself and when I got married I then decided I would let out the house so one of these people who we often refer to as accidental landlords never bought the property with the intention of becoming a landlord but then got married bought another property and decided yeah hang on to that probably hang on to it as an investment a lot of people buy properties as well and see it as kind of an investment for their retirement for example and I'm assuming that's kind of the category Tony falls into so he's just got the one property he said for the last year the tenants have not paid the full amount of rent now I left them off for about three months as they told me they were struggling financially God, you have a good heart uh, Tony but now 12 months on I still have the mortgage to pay on that house while they were struggling they still went on holidays twice abroad last year and when I called to sort something out of the house one evening they were just back from a holiday and they told me uh, before Christmas that they uh, they, they told me before Christmas I, 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 I sorry uh, it's all a bit mixed up. They were just back from holidays. I said to them, why could you have not paid the rent instead of putting the money into the uh, holiday? They didn't give any, obviously, answer to that. I am basically now, says Tony, paying a full mortgage on the family home that I'm living in and I still have a half a mortgage to pay on this house. My hands are tied. Why? Because of the eviction ban. And by the way, the, te- the tenants keep bringing that up. You can't evict us because the eviction ban is 
in place because of the hassle. I do. I never want to be in this position again. So I've decided, says Tony, that once the notice to quit and the people leave the house, I'm selling. If the tenants had paid the rent in full, it would. I would never have thought about sell, selling it. So while there are genuine cases out there, there are also some tenants who are not very genuine. And Tony now feels he's been forced in the position to sell up the property. 0818103103. And a Kerry listener says, Patricia, I feel sorry for anyone in rental accommodation. And thank God I don't find myself in that category. I won't be voting for Deputy Danny Healy Ray next time round after hearing that he voted with the government yesterday. These are people that are vulnerable to no fault of their own and possibly victims of greed and they are the people who could end up homeless in the coming weeks and uh, months. And Miriam uh, says I don't know why all the parties in government, both in government and those in opposition, why don't they all get together, all sit around a table, all put their heads together and try to solve the problem. All we've been hearing over the last few days are the opposition having a go at the government, the government having a go at the opposition and it's people sniping and fighting uh, with each other and nobody therefore is coming up with a solution. We know we have a problem. We know we have a housing crisis, says Miriam. Could everyone just not work together to come up with a solution? Wouldn't wouldn't it be great, Marion? And if you think about it, during COVID uh, times, the very beginning of COVID times, all of the parties seem to work very much together. Everybody was all singing off the one hymn sheet. So they've done it before. Could they do it again? Just put all party politics aside, sit down and say, how do we solve the housing uh, crisis? I'd love to see it happening, uh, said Miriam. And then Miriam has an add-on to her comment that I don't know if a lot of people will uh, agree with. Miriam wonders, uh, this is for people who are struggling to buy a house. If everybody worked a little bit harder today, if everybody perhaps took on extra jobs, they may be able to afford to buy a property like we all had to do over the years. I feel everybody today wants something for nothing. (sighs) And I think that's unfair. I think, Miriam, yes, there are people who will always think they want everything for nothing. They want their uh, free house. They don't want to work. They want their social welfare benefits. They want every uh, single grant that is going or anything that they're entitled to, they want. You'll always get a cohort of people. And I think that happens all over the world. But there are there are a huge number of people who are stuck in this rental crisis who are paying Huge sums of money on rent uh, every month. I'm talking about couples who are both working, both can be earning a really decent wage. If you throw children into the mix and both couples, both both couples are working, uh, both partners are working, you put children into the mix, they have to pay childcare. Childcare is hugely expensive in this country on top of what they're paying for their rent to keep the roof over their heads. It is extremely hard to save, to get a deposit together in order to persuade the bank that you're going to be able to afford to pay back the mortgage. So I think it's unfair to say that people need to take on extra jobs. There are people working extra jobs at the moment and they're barely surviving because of course uh, outside of the cost of rent we've got a massive cost of living crisis as well so I don't think it's as easy as saying we all did that in the past we worked extra hours so that we could afford a property 0818 103 103 thank you by the way for your comment you can text your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs an accounts assistant is wanted to work in the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow. CVs, please, for the attention of Joseph to info at hibernianhotelmallow.com. 
A part-time rigid truck driver is wanted for Cork to Dublin run. It's one day per week and possibly some local work as well. 87 27553365. In Chidani Island Lodge and Spa, they're hosting a recruitment open day. It's going to be Saturday week, the 1st of April from 12 noon to 3pm. On the day, just bring along your CV or you can email it in advance to eshepherd at inchidoneyisland.com. And Eurospar, they're based at Barry Row Co-op in West Cork. They're recruiting part-time store assistants and have part-time hours available to suit your lifestyle. Christina is your contact, 023 881 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. cmig.ie. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. The Foreign Affairs Minister, Micheál Martin, has been called upon to give consideration to purchasing a passport printing machine that will be installed at the Cork Passport Office. Cork East Labour Doll Deputy Sean Sherlock says having a machine in Cork would alleviate waiting times. And uh, Sean Sherlock joins me. Good morning to Sean. Good morning, Patricia. Not the first time you and others have made such a call. Is cost always the reason put forward for not having a passport printing machine at the office in Cork? Yes, cost is always the reason for not having a passport machine in Cork, even though there was one there before. And my justification for making the argument for it is that uh, for the Munster region, it's entirely reasonable that uh, you would have a machine based in Cork uh, because I think that it would lead to uh, faster turnaround times in terms of processing applications. Uh, and it would also allow for people to collect passports uh, without having to go to Dublin or, or to seek appointments where, where, where they are necessary. Now, the Taunish, in fairness, would say, look, in 2022, that over a million passports were issued. But if we all as TDs and public representatives, and it started already actually this year, where this week alone I've had quite a number of uh, people on to me who are running up against the wire uh, for, uh, you know, the, the travel date and, they're, you know, they're, they're starting to sweat a little about whether or not the passport will arrive in time because what we're seeing is a trend of more, more and more people now travelling off-peak because of uh, the benefits, the cost benefits that accrue by doing that. And if you had a passport service like the one we had before, where you could just go in, collect your ticket, have the appointment and so on, I think that would provide some alleviation. And I think the cost... I, I, I've never really gotten a proper assessment from uh, you know, the passport office or from the Department of Foreign Affairs as to uh, you know, why the costing is such an impediment to doing it. Because maintaining a machine in Cork is the same as maintaining a machine in Dublin. And if they're telling us that they're processing in 2022 alone over 1 million passports, then I can absolutely guarantee you that that's just going to, those numbers are going to keep creeping up. Yeah, and when, uh, when I last checked, there's, I think it's three printing machines, all of them based in Dublin. All of them based in Dublin. And I, I look, I, you know, for a, for a country that is supposed to, you know, have a, an active regional policy, for a country where, you know, uh, a significant proportion of the population live in the Munster region, 
you know, it seems to me to be entirely plausible that you would have a passport machine based in Cork. And I'm not, look, people will argue, you're just being parochial about this, aren't you? But it's, it's not that really. It's because of the population base, because it would serve Kerry, Waterford, Tipperary. The whole of Munster. It would serve the, the whole of Munster. The, the whole, I mean, only last week we had one of our listeners who, who got caught exactly what you're talking about. Problem with his son's passport. Kept promising that it would be there. It wasn't there. Ryanair wouldn't let him fly without a uh, passport. Aer Lingus, they were only flying to Scotland. Aer Lingus would, would let him travel on other travel documents. They ended up having to buy new tickets at triple the price because they were going over for a match. They didn't want to d- disappoint the young lad. But we were making the point that if there was a passport office here in Cork, the father could have physically gone in, sorted out what needed to be done and he could have got the son's passport. And, and that's exactly the point. That, that is the perfect illustration of how this affects the citizen who's applying for the passport. And like, I don't know how many times I've had to say to people, look, if you get up to Dublin to the passport office early enough, you might get the appointment, you know, you might get in and, you know, and, and you're kind of, everything is on a wing and a prayer. Whereas if you had a properly devolved system, um, you know, based in Cork, which it was where it was based before, you would take a lot of that pressure out. And like we all know now, and more and more people are going to matches abroad. More and more people are holidaying off peak because post-COVID, the cost of holidays on peak is just too prohibitive for families. And what you're seeing is that kind of crossover now where people are maybe taking a few days off school to avail of off-peak holiday periods. And then there are a significant number of people that I uh, deal with who have to travel to the UK in particular uh, where they're travelling, you know, for for family reasons, you know, where there's the illness or or, or or tragedy and so on and so forth. And I just think that it couldn't be so prohibitive from a cost point of view such that you couldn't devolve the service, partially devolve the service uh, to to Cork. Even if it it were rather by new one, could you even take one of the three that are in Dublin and have one of them uh, based here in the south? Because I know renewal of a passport online is very quick, very efficient and we often hear from listeners saying what an efficient service uh, it is. But it is the first time passports that can cause the delays. It's the first time passports and passports for children in particular because there's always issues on, you know, photograph quality and then, you know, signing of guard forms and and all of that. Uh, And so, like, I I often think that the the more local your service is to you, the the better the quality of service. Uh, And I think people, you know, the renewal service, you're absolutely right, Patricia, like, it's an excellent service. And by and large, the service is an excellent service because it delivers you know, one million passports. But I'm speaking for the thousands of people who uh, will interact with the service from the Munster region on an annual basis. Who When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode. 
and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Just find that if the service was available to them at the most local point of contact, where you could set up that appointment system, where you could kind of what I call triage a lot of those issues uh, and take a lot of the stress of travel away from families and travellers, then I think that that's worthwhile pursuing. Like what I'd like to see is some sort of a cost-benefit analysis. You could keep, I'm sure you could keep your three machines in Dublin and still have an additional fort, and you'd still probably make it, uh, what's the word, pay for itself in terms of the number of uh, passports that you would and print yeah, on an yeah. annual basis. And, and it would take pressure off the Dublin office. It would take pressure off the Dublin office. Yeah. And I'm sure the people in the Dublin passport office, not that I profess to speak for them, would probably be happy about that as well. OK, but uh, but as of now, no, Micheál Martin's answer to you was there. there is no consideration at the moment to put one in the, in the Cork office. No, and, and, and Micheál, with the greatest of respect to the Thornish, Micheál, you know, has been around politics for a long time and to quote from the minister's response, or the Thornish's response, while there are no current plans to install a printing machine in the Cork office, Passport Service will continue to consider ways in which to enhance customer experience. So it's not, it's never an outright no, uh, but it's never, never, the never, never answer. Um, and so I, I think I'm going to keep pursuing okay. this one, Patricia. OK, and while I have you on, I, I have to ask you about uh, your, the Labour Party going to be tabling a no-confidence motion in the government next week to, due to its decision on uh, ending the eviction ban. They won last night uh, reasonably comfortable. Is it a waste of time having a no-confidence uh, motion at the moment? The reason we tabled the motion of no-confidence is because what what I'm doing is reflecting back to my party leader, Ivan Abachik, and to my colleagues, the fact that the lifting of this eviction ban, which was the eviction ban was put in place by the government, not by the opposition. It was put in place by the government. And the lifting of the eviction ban now, at a time when I'm reflecting back to my colleagues, the fact that I've feeling calls even this morning, from people who are facing eviction or are fearful of eviction. And already I'm dealing with cases whereby I don't know where those people are going to go because we don't have the housing supply that is necessary. The private rented market is is full from what I can see. There is no temporary emergency accommodation. Uh, There is uh, you know, you, it is unfair to expect people where there are, you know, children to go back, you know, where your family units, where there are children to go back into the maternal or paternal family home. And in the absence of there being a supply, I have yet to hear from government as to what their uh, justification for lifting the ban was. And I, I think it's now it's incompetence and it's a government that has lost touch with people. And I think what, we've, what we're trying to do is to continue to force the issue of the eviction ban. Now, the reality of it is, is that I imagine what the government will do next week is to come back with their counter 
confidence motion and I imagine that the figures will hold up and I imagine that they will win that vote. That's the reality of the situation. But what there are mechanisms that you seek to use to keep an issue alive. And I don't understand, like last year evictions were up about 58%. There was no tire kicking of the number of uh, projected evictions that will take place as a result of the lifting of this eviction ban. Now, you could have created... Uh, exceptions for people where they're coming back into the family home from abroad. You could have created all sorts of exceptions where there were reasonable grounds for people to want to go back into what is their family home. Are we, we, are we had a landlord, a local landlord today, uh, who is really struggling to pay the mortgage on the, the he's just has one property, because yes. the tenants are not paying the rent. Yeah, but, but, but you see, we weren't, like, the, the eviction ban was on the basis that you know, you, you you couldn't have a no-fault eviction ban. And what yeah. I suppose, like, if somebody is not adhering to the law as a tenant, then you, you, you can't kind of cover them, you know, in, in any... You have to create exceptions whereby the rights of the property owner, where there is a clear floating of the law by the tenant, that those rights have to be upheld. So nobody is calling for us to kind of protect the tenant where the tenant is absolutely and utterly not adhering to uh, the, the law of the land. So, but but the eviction ban, like it's it's a cruel instrument, I suppose, if you're a property owner. But what it did, if you're trying to strike a balance between protecting people who are going to be put on the street and the rights of the the property owner, you have to strike a balance in the current climate by at least allowing the ban to continue for some months. Because the, would the you have, was, would you well, agree with Sinn Fein that it should be left in place until uh, January, well, or would I, you go further? I was going to come to that point because I, I tell you what you could have done in the number in, in say between now and January, for instance, you could have looked at what the tenant in situ scheme w- was going to look like. So what the government have announced yesterday was that you'll have a tenant in situ scheme so that, uh, for instance, if you were selling a house tomorrow and you had somebody in the house that was a local authority, uh, local authority housing applicant, that the local authority would have first refusal on the purchase of the house. Now, that's fraught with all sorts of difficulties because we know how long it takes for conveyancing of a house. We don't have what I would call enough staff within local authorities that would, de- would be able to deal with a tenant in situ scheme. The government are telling us that that will be put in place by the 1st of April. I, I mean, if you talk And, and local- also, I, I, I question and wonder, do the local authorities want to take on all these additional properties? Well, They're already struggling with staff. Well, you would have to have the requisite number of staff to deal with the tenant in situ scheme. But but the, the challenge of a tenant in situ scheme from where from my vantage point, from where I see it, is that what it would mean then is that a local authority staff member would have to go out and liaise with, on every single sale of every single property throughout the county of Cork where... Uh, there is a local authority housing applicant uh, in place. So where does the housing assistance payment or rent allowance or whatever that might be? And I, uh, that, that is a gargantuan task. Is it also very that. unfair on uh, first-time buyers and people who are trying to compete in the housing market? Well, and then there is the issue of what I call the moral hazard that has been spoken about with, by local authorities where they say, well, are you now creating... Uh, and putting somebody who's a first-time buyer, uh, in, put uh, like a Darwinian competition between the first-time buyer who has mortgage approval, where they are not on the local authority housing list, is now 
all of a sudden competing with the local authority yeah. for the purchase of a house within okay. the community. Okay. So the, 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 it's like the, the instrument of the eviction ban is not a perfect instrument, but it was brought in by the government. It was brought in by Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens. They did bring it in. And I haven't seen a justification, a proper justification for its lifting now. Okay. And you could have continued it as an imperfect instrument, but it would have allowed for security of tenure and, for people. And unfortunately, only time will tell how many people are actually going to end up uh, homeless. Listen, uh, Sean, it's an issue I know we will return to again. In the meantime, thank you for that. And thank thanks for joining us on the programme. That is uh, Cork East Labour Doll Deputy uh, Sean Sherlock. North Cork actor and writer Michael O'Sullivan, who goes by the stage name Michael Patrick, has recently been leading a red carpet lifestyle having attended both the BAFTAs and Oscar Awards as part of the cast and crew of On Colleen Kuhn. With his feet now firmly on home ground, Michael joins me in advance of his one-man show about Sean Moylan, Irish revolutionary, which will play at the Cork Arts Theatre next uh, week. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. How are you? I'm very, I'm very well, and you're very welcome to the program. I suppose I have to talk to you first about on Colleen uh, Kuhn. There's been an incredible reaction uh, to this movie, and I even saw uh, only yesterday there was queues outside a cinema in Paris for people to go in and see on uh, Colleen uh, Kuhn. Uh, you must be thrilled with the reaction to this movie. Yeah, and it, it's going, it's going on and on, going from strength to strength if it can get any stronger than being nominated for an Oscar and a BAFTA uh, yeah I mean it's it's a, it's become a bit of a phenomenon really uh, nobody could ever possibly expect that when we were shooting it although we did think that something special was going on And what does all that exposure do for the Irish film industry I mean to feature the likes of the uh, the Oscars and, and the BAFTAs Yeah it, it was a bizarre week last week and a wonderful week I, I suppose it, we were just saying it was the closest most of us will ever get to representing Ireland at anything because there was such a strong Irish contingent there. And what that was doing is that you could feel the the creative surge of power uh, going through everybody. And there is a revolution of sorts, a different type of revolution uh, going on in the Irish entertainment industry at the moment. And it's just lovely to be a part of it. Um, you know, watching the, the lovely lads from uh, An Irish Goodbye receiving their Oscar and the whole Dolby Theatre singing Happy Birthday to, to James Martin was, was the highlight of the night for me, uh, closely followed by Richie Bainham winning his second Oscar for special effects. And then every Irish person in the Dolby Theatre had, had a photograph taken with Richie's Oscar. And what he was doing there was inspiring and saying, look, hold that. Uh, it's not impossible and anything is possible. Uh, so yeah, it was it was just it was a magical week to be a part of. Well done, well 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 done. Do you want a name drop? Who did you rub shoulders with in LA? Um, <laughs> no, I don't want to name drop particularly. <laughs> um, it, 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 yeah, like on one hand, it was really interesting to see how it all works and to see the big stars and to be that close to them, and and that was a strange experience. But it was lovely to to, to watch it all. But the the biggest thing was to be there with such a such a strong Irish group and even from our little film 10 of us went to the, the actual Oscar ceremony but there were to 25 of us all in all out there uh, and even a greater group were indirectly connected with the film so that was just the best part of it you know it, it's uh, the Oscars themselves it, it's a it's it's a world that I'm not familiar with and it's it's a bizarre thing but the 
the the the feeling of togetherness from all of the Irish films that were nominated uh, and all of the people connected to them through Screen Ireland and TG Cahar and all of that the, the sense of togetherness was the was the best part of the week and there was such a feel good factor back home here as well. I mean, everybody was rooting for everyone. And, and you know, as I, I had said on, on the day of the of the Oscars, I was making the point you were all winners just by being nominated. Yeah, that's right. And and our film, we, I suppose, we were a bit unlucky to come up against a, a juggernaut like All Quiet on the Western Front, mm. which was nominated for several other categories as well and won in several other categories. Um, yeah, in another year, that wouldn't have been in our category or a film like that might not have been in our category. But but you're right. I, I think everyone who was nominated was a winner. And and, uh, and it just it just shines a light on, on the the power of creation that's going on in the Irish film industry at the moment. And I think it'll go from strength strength to strength after that. OK, back to reality, as you say, and and the bread and butter, <laughs> yeah. your bread and butter yeah. stuff. Now, tell me about your new new play. You wrote and are performing it. It's a one man uh, play. Why Sean Moylan? Um, I. Sean Moylan is, is the subject of the play, but it's it represents all of the men and women who, who fought and sacrificed in the War of Independence and then went on to, to take part in the Civil War. Uh, and not just that time, but but the legacy of burden that followed from it and, and what they had to deal with in later life and what their descendants have had to deal with as a result of it. And even on the broader sense, all of us, it's in all of us. And I think after 100 years, the only way we can heal ourselves of that is by discussing it and talking about it and learning about it and finding out the things that we don't know. And there are generations behind me that maybe don't know anything about it because we were so reluctant to discuss it. So yes, Sean Moylan, uh, uh, um, Sheila O'Sullivan, a local historian here, uh, brought the idea to me, and I started reading it. And did you know much with, about him before you started the research? I, I did because I had looked at him about a year previously and thought about doing something. And then, then you know, when something keeps coming back to you, you have to listen to the signals, uh, or at least that's the way I look at it anyway. So when Sheila brought it to me, I, I, I started looking deeper into it, and for me. There are certain people who have recorded their experiences during the War of Independence in particular, and there are certain others who were there who played just as big a part who haven't recorded it. So we have information on Sean Moylan's experience and his story, whereas we don't about some of, most of the other volunteers. So that's why Sean Moylan, because we have information on him and it's well documented. And I was able to, while I was doing my research, cross-reference it with other accounts at the time uh, and, and, and in doing so try to be fair and even to to everybody that's mentioned in it and everybody who was involved at the time. So it's it's you on stage as Sean Moylan telling his story. Is 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 that the way it plays out? Yes. So yeah, where where does it start in, I, and where do you take the audience to? Okay. Well, I've I've said it in 1938 for a couple of reasons. The primary reason being that in 1938 Sean Moylan was approximately the age that I am now. Okay. So the the premise is that he is. Uh, attempting to write his memoirs, which he did for the Bureau of Military History. Uh, and he doesn't know where to start and he doesn't know how to go about it. So then he starts a, a train of thought and that's that's where the show goes. And it's it's a very serious subject matter. But then within that, Sean Moylan was a very witty man. And, and in his re reports to the Bureau of Military History, there are some really funny anecdotes. And, 
And so all of all of those characters come alive on stage as well. So it's not just the one character for 75 minutes. All right, because because he and and you based a lot of it on on Sean Moylan's own. He wrote his own memoirs, didn't he, on the War of Independence? He he did on the War of Independence, yeah, and stopped. Did not he? He was supposed to write his memoirs on the Civil War, but for one reason or another, he didn't. And uh, my guess would be that it was too painful. Um, yeah. Uh, but he 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 talks about it and touches on it uh, and gives his opinion about how it might have been avoided, but then he doesn't go any further. And that's that's where I end the play. OK, and I know the play opened in a new market earlier this month and I saw one reviewer describe it as a masterclass in both acting and uh, writing. So so well done to you on that. Uh, what was the audience reaction like to it in Newmarket? Yeah, it was amazing. And, and you know, it, from that point of view... <laughs> You know, I knew I was going to the Oscars the following week and there was a certain <laughs> excitement in that. But actually, I was more nervous and more excited uh, about doing a show in front of my home audience in our new venue on Cultural, which is a fantastic venue about a man from our town. Um, it, it, it was a special weekend and one that I'll never forget. Well done. Uh, and the audience reaction was, was amazing. They were so like the, all the other Jeff Gould who directed the play and did a brilliant job. And the other theatre professionals who were working on it were singing the praises of the venue and the audiences afterwards and how respectful and attentive and appreciative they were. So uh, it couldn't have been better. It was, it was it exceeded all of my expectations. And you now, Michael, take it to the Cat Club uh, opening March the 28th and it runs for five nights. Five nights. That's it. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Next Tuesday night until uh, Saturday, the 1st of April at Cork Arts Theatre. Um, uh, yeah, we're excited about it, excited to show it to a, a different audience in a different type of venue. Um, so I, I'm, it, it will affect the show slightly in that it will be a, it'll be a more intimate venue, so a more intimate performance, but I'm looking forward to that and I think it's adaptable. And tickets are available from? On the Cork Arts Theatre website. Okay. Um, Did I um, see? You can call the call the box office at Cork Arts Theatre as well. I have the phone number if you'd like me okay, to Okay, please do. Please do. Yeah, it's 021-450-5624. Okay, and I would suggest people buy your tickets because they will sell out uh, really quickly for that five-night uh, run. Uh, Michael, it's a pleasure as always uh, to talk to you. Thank you for that. Good luck with uh, the Sean Moylan uh, play and uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, thanks for having me on. Patricia. Good morning thanks to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That is uh, Michael Patrick in advance of the play that he wrote and performs uh, in Sean Moylan, the Irish revolutionary, as I say, the people who managed to get to see it on his opening two nights in a new market are just swooning about it. Said It's just a stunning, stunning piece. So well done to Michael on that. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Uh, Jim in Mweelan and unfortunately Jim I'm only after seeing your WhatsApp now on Michael Patrick who joined us um, actor and writer who joined us to talk about his one man show Sean uh, Moylan uh, Jim says just to let Michael know that Sean Moylan fell off the roof of Quinlan's house and pub 
and he survived. He drank a glass of whiskey before phoning his mother to tell his mother what had happened uh, to him. Goodness me. He was lucky he didn't break his uh, neck. Because he went on, Sean Mullen, of course, went on to be Minister for Education uh, in the government as well. Thank you for that, uh, Jim. And we discussed, do we need uh, Sean Sherlock once again calling for uh, a passport printing machine to have one here in the South, have it obviously at the passport office in Cork and it could serve the whole of the Munster area. And it certainly would help people that we have heard of in the past who've had to go to Dublin to try to, if they need to get an emergency passport, it would be great because once upon a time we used to have a passport printing machine in Cork. I was trying to find out yesterday in advance of Sean coming up when and why it was taken out. But anyway, we have three passport printing machines and all of them are based in Dublin and Sean's been pushing for quite some time as to why can't we get one in Cork. Somebody has suggested if any region in this country requires a passport printing machine, surely one should be based in Northern Ireland for the Ulster uh, area due to Brexit. So many people who have UK passports are trying to get Irish uh, passports. I know at one stage, I don't know if it's still the same if there's still the same amount of people trying to get Irish passports based on they were either born here or they had parents or grandparents who were Irish and they're entitled to an Irish passport and because of Brexit a lot of people in the UK opted uh, to do that for travel uh, reasons especially and I know there was a huge rush on Irish passports to the point of if my memory serves me right one of the machines was dedicated to just working on the printing off the Irish passports for people in the UK. I don't know if that is still the same but uh, obviously from that particular texture they feel that there is still people looking for, huge number of people looking for Irish passports. Thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. I can see some questions coming in for Jane Pickett our resident vet. Keep those coming either by calling John Paul or text or WhatsApp your question about any of your pets to 0862 103 103. Now in, earlier in the programme I mentioned what I thought was a heartbreaking text that came in from one of our listeners, a, a, a mammy on behalf of her son. Her son is absolutely de- devastated. All he's ever wanted to do was to become a car mechanic. He went off and did a four week trial at a local garage. They were thrilled with him. They agreed to take him on as an apprentice. Then he had to do a colour vision test and unfortunately he failed it. They, he even went to Dublin to do a more extensive test but he still failed it and obviously the garage can't keep him on as an apprentice. And the mother contacted us because her son is absolutely devastated and she's heartbroken to see his, de- his dream job is gone. And she was pointing out that in Northern Ireland, colour blind mechanic apprentice can continue once they wear the colour correct glasses but it's not the same here in the south and she was looking for advice John in Cove says that that is a further example uh, why um, the point that John made yesterday uh, why we would be better off under UK uh, rules uh, because look what can happen in the north you can have an apprentice who's colour blind, but you can't down here in the south. He reckons we, we would have a lot more benefits if we were under UK rules. John, I can tell you a lot of people disagreed with you yesterday on that. But thank you for your call today. But John Paul has dug out something that's interesting. Now, this is back from 2016 and we're trying to get more information on this. At the time, it was Robert Troy who was a TD at the time. I think think Robert Troy still is a TD. He asked the Minister for Education and Skills why there is a disparity between here and Northern Ireland in the case of a person who's unable to qualify for a mechanic course through SOLAS 
due to failing a colour blindness test. But yet, they can go across the border and qualify under City and Gills in Northern Ireland as a mechanic without the colour blind test because we know they wear the glasses instead. And the answer that came back in 2016 from the Education Minister, and I don't know who the Education Minister was at the time, but the answer that came back was that the apprentice rules are administered by Solace. Under these rules, a person wishing to register as a motor mechanic apprentice must pass the Inish Ara colour blind test. And that was the test that this young lad failed. But the re- response coming back from the Minister for Education 2016 said there are arrangements in place for an individual who may pass a test with the use of corrective lenses. Details of these arrangements are available directly from Solace. So what have we done? We're getting straight on to Solace. We've sent them out an email uh, to find out what is going on and is it possible for this young lad to get the corrective lenses, go back and do the test and then he'll be able to pass it once he's wearing the corrective uh, lenses. We did download the colour vision test application form from Solace and it does say on that that Solace will not accept a colour vision test statement if colour filters were needed in order to pass the colour vision test. So I don't know if things have changed between now and when the Minister for Education said that back in uh, 2016. Actually, I'm, I might say to John Paul as well, the fact that it was the Minister for Education who answered that question, we might send an email, besides sending it to Solace, we might send an email to the Department of Education as well, because obviously apprenticeships come under the Department of Education, because I really would like to try and find some solution for this young lad who is absolutely devastated because it's all he's ever wanted to do was to be an apprentice mechanic and the fact that the garage where he went and did his trial was to have been thrilled with him because he did his four week trial his mother said she'd never seen him so happy coming home every day from it he was delighted to be doing it and then for this to, to happen it really is gut wrenching so we'll see we'll go on to the Department of Education as well and see if we can get anything back from them 0818 103 103 we've been talking about dog fouling on the programme today John and Mallow said there's another problem when it comes to footpaths and that's wheelie bins being left out on footpaths in Mallow John says it's a problem in many areas, particularly if you've got very narrow footpaths and people have no other choice but to leave their bins out. He said only last week he ended up having to help a woman who was in a wheelchair. She was stuck on one side of a wheelie bin. He had to help her down off the footpath onto what John described as a very busy road go around the wheelie bin and then he helped her back up onto the footpath. Now John says in Mallow that he remembers the city council passed a bylaw. He reckons it was in 2019 where all bins no bins were not allowed in the footpath. They had to be placed on the road, obviously not on the footpath. He's wondering why Cork County Council doesn't do something uh, similar. We'll see if we can find out from the council what is the procedure with uh, wheelie bins. And, and I'm thinking of one area in particular um, in Mallow that I'm, I'm thinking of where I've, I often see the bins the, I mean the householders have no choice because their front doors are right onto the footpath so they, they have no but it's a narrow enough uh, footpath and I'm wondering would a, would a wheelchair be actually able to pass or not I don't know but it obviously causes problems not just for wheelchair users it'll cause problems for somebody with a buggy as well if you have a child in a buggy you'd have to go out onto if you can't get past uh, the wheelie bin I don't know what the solution is but seemingly John said in the city you're not allowed to leave your wheelie bins out on the footpath or maybe you're allowed to have them out 
when you know the bins are coming maybe I don't quite I'll, I'll try and find out what that bylaw is all about thank you for your call though uh, John Maura says she lives in Mallow and she said I could name Patricia so many streets where you could literally go out today and there would be dog poo all over it it's unreal the council say that they want to bring in more rules and more bylaws but there's no incentive for people not to break those rules uh, we need more litter wardens no fines are being given out and therefore people are willingly bre- breaking the rules if somebody gets caught and if you witness somebody who hasn't cleaned up after their dog you have to go to court and nobody's going to do that Joe in Kilmallog said the, did the Gardaí not have the powers years ago to deal with issues pertaining to dogs surely our dog wardens should be given more powers and sorted out once and for all you see I don't think John, Joe and Kilmallog that it's the dog wardens don't have the powers they do we just don't have enough dog wardens seems to be uh, the problem uh, he says Dog fouling is a huge issue, but we need more powers to uh, control them. 0818 103 103. And then back to the eviction ban and people's thoughts on that. Bill in Clonakilty is... It says he he remembers a programme that was on RTE. He thinks it was called Reflection, where people too were asked to reflect on the past day, kind of a, a religious or a, um, not even a religious thing, a kind of a way of meditating. Probably at the end of the day, uh, was it uh, like taking a pause for 30 seconds and reflecting on your day? Bill reckons we should all be doing that, but we should be reflecting on what's going wrong in the country. You've got people who can't get passports in order for their children to leave uh, the country because there's delays. We've had children fighting to get seats on buses and of course a bigger issue with the housing crisis people can't rent uh, a property Uh, we have hospital waiting uh, lists Uh, the list goes on and on if you were to reflect with what's wrong in the country at the moment can I add in rising cost of energy can I add in rising cost of living we have a lot of problems at the moment anyway Bill and Conakilty describes himself as he was once a black Fianna Fáil supporter. So do I take it? You were a diehard Fianna Fáil uh, supporter, but he's decided no longer will you vote for them. Everybody, he says, seemed to be just, everyone seems to be just kicking the can down the street. We employ, our, the, we vote in and employ these uh, TDs, but they seem to be ducking and diving their responsibilities. He's losing all faith in politics. Eleanor in Middleton says, Patricia, land registry, have a lot to answer for. Eleanor is trying to sort out a title deed on a property via solicitor. It's been going on now for two years. Still hasn't been sorted. We would gladly do up this property but Eleanor said I'm caught. I need my folio number to avail of the council grants in order to do the refurbishment but no folio number yet two years on. No one is having this conversation. Eleanor feels this is why a lot of vacant properties are not being done up because the title deeds are incomplete and it's delaying them and obviously it's turning people off deciding yeah I'll take on that uh, property. Uh, Anya says Patricia housing dilemma. uh, Since when did private landlords become a government body to supply housing. It will be more cost effective for the government to bite the bullet and start to build tens of thousands of houses. This would remove families who are currently living in hotels and B&Bs, which is coming at a huge annual cost to the state. I have no rental properties myself, said Anya, but I do sympathise with small landlords who are older. They may need the property. They may need to sell the property in order to cash it in for their retirement, or they may need the property for their children. Remember, their children have housing needs 
too, says Anya. So she can see it from both sides, from the people who have been asked to leave the property, but she can also see it from the landlord's uh, point of uh, view. John says, Patricia, I think now uh, this is to do with Nessa Horgan of the Green Party who voted against the government yesterday. And now we've heard this morning she's been suspended from the Green Party for for, for the parliamentary party for the next 15 months. I think now, says John, that she's exercised her conscience since she was elected by the people. She can no longer serve them as she's now, she now has no talking time. She now needs to leave the Green Party, announce she's running as an independent. And by doing that, John feels her seat would be guaranteed. She has her own opinions on various issues. So now democracy John Fields is disenfranchising her constituents and herself. The idea being that people voted for her as a Green Party TD. Now, there would have been people who would have voted for her as an individual as well, uh, John. But people who voted for her as a Green Party t- a TD now no longer has a Green Party TD. Yeah, so I can accept your uh, point on that. Patricia, I find the ending of the eviction ban so, so upsetting. Isn't it amazing that Leo can come out and say, look, we introduced this eviction ban on a temporary measure. We knew it was always going to be temporary and we knew it would have to, to go. Did they not do the very same thing, says this texture, when they brought in the universal social charge. Did they not bring that in as a temporary uh, measure? But of course they changed their mind on that and they've left it there forevermore. That's, that's a good point. They can change their mind on some things when they bring it in on a temporary measure but not on uh, others. Okay, just a sample of uh, some of your texts and calls uh, coming into the programme today. Keep your pet questions coming please. 0818 103 103 text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council delivering roads and housing, community and business supports all across the county. See corkcoco.ie. And with a reminder that tomorrow is the Irish Cancer Society's annual Daffodil Day. And with that in mind, the Mallow Daffodil Day Committee, they're still looking for volunteers to help them out uh, tomorrow. Anyone who has an hour to spare, you simply enter your, enter your name on the roster. Now, the roster is in McSweeney's Footwear on Main Street in Mallow. They also are today collecting fresh daffodils for sale. They can be handed into Lucy's Christmas shop between three and five this afternoon. Cottrell's shop in Ballinhasic. They're holding a coffee morning tomorrow morning in aid of the Irish Cancer Society. All are uh, very welcome. There's also a coffee morning in O'Sullivan's Pharmacy in Bandon uh, tomorrow. And a coffee day in aid of the Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day will be held on Saturday in uh, Tig Ilura. It's from 11 until 6. There will be a cake sale and a raffle on the day. And you're invited to join Anne Gilday at the Glen Theatre in Bantir this Saturday night for her tips on how to get the menopause and enjoy it. We spoke with Anne on the programme a few weeks ago. That show sounds like a hoot. Tickets are available from 029 56239. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Promoter, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is Cork Today on C103. 
Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. And thanks to Mary who was listening to my chat with uh, Michael uh, Patrick, the um, North Cork actor and writer who is bringing his one man show about Sean Morley, an Irish revolutionary to the Cat Club next week. And I mentioned that he'd opened with it earlier in the month. He did uh, two nights in uh, Newmarket. Uh, Mary said uh, Michael Patrick's Sean Moylan play was absolutely outstanding. He is a super actor. He is indeed. And hence the reason that he was over at the Oscars and he was over at the BAFTAs uh, because he was a part of Colin Kuhn. So he has got a five night run in the Cat Club from next Tuesday, March the 28th, running through until the following Saturday, the 1st of uh, April. I would suggest if you want to get along, get your tickets booked because uh, the Cat Club is a small enough venue. Those tickets will sell out really, really quick. But thank you for your text, Mary, to 0862-103-103. Tori Joyce is with the West Cork Animal Welfare Group and she joins me with a heartwarming story about a duck who decided to leave the city and head to beautiful Clonakilty. And why wouldn't the duck go to beautiful Clonakilty on a bit of a day trip? And Tori joins me with more on this story. Good afternoon, uh, Tori. Good afternoon, Patricia. Thanks very much for having us on. And hello to you and all your listeners. Well, it's it's a real it's a real pleasure, and it's good that we have you on on a happy good news story. Tell Wonderful. me, tell me what happened with this. Um, oh, firstly, tell me how is the duck and where is he now? Well, it's a girl. Oh, it's so a female she... mallard. She's absolutely. Uh, she's doing really well now. She got released back to her own habitat, so it's a very happy ending and a wonderful story. But it all started the other morning when I got a message from a lovely lady called Yvonne Dempsey. And Yvonne had got a call from her husband, Michael Dempsey, who's a builder in, in Clonakilty. He's actually building a new estate, in, um, which is called on Struhan Bialk, which is opposite Ladies Cross, which was an estate he also built. One of his colleagues rolled up who'd um, come in from the city side, and there was a duck wedged in the front grill of his van. Now, the, the man's name was Ray, so what transpired was Ray had left from the Cork City area about a little bit into his journey. He was going through Ballygarvan area and he heard a bang. Now, he looked in his mirrors, obviously saw nothing, kept travelling and arrived to his uh, place of work. And his work colleague, Michael Dempsey, the builder, Michael saw the duck and contacted his wife because they needed some advice. So Michael... Was, was absolutely fantastic. I want to thank Michael Ray and all the colleagues there, all the guys there very much. So Michael had removed the duck from the grill, had put her in a quiet room in the estate, and then they wanted to know what happens next. So first thing I had to ascertain whether she was a domestic duck or a wild duck. Okay. So I got a photograph through of Mrs. Duck. So she's a female <laughs> wild mallard. And I do have some experience with ducks because I actually hand-reared a, um, a couple of wild ducks years ago. And... Um, so I would have known a bit about them, but got Michael to make sure, really the first thing we had to make sure was she wasn't injured, otherwise she'd have gone into our vets in Faxbridge. And she seemed okay, but extremely stressed. Being a wild animal, they can actually die of a heart attack very easily. So I advised Michael to put some water in, so a plan was hatched. So the rescue um, got a carrier down, a nice because car- we couldn't put her in a cardboard box or in the car or anything. And I was going to put an appeal up to have her um, return, but what I thought was it's best the guy, he knew where the bang was on the road, but he didn't stop because he he didn't see anything, but he knew the exact area around Ballygarvan. So she needed to be returned back there. 
Yeah, because he probably, when he heard the bang, probably just thought he went over a plastic bottle or something. Well, yes, he, yeah. he, or a stone or yeah. anything. He didn't. He didn't really know anything. So she actually travelled from Ballygarvan to Clonakilty, forty-five minutes, stuck in the grill of the car. Goodness How me. she survived is an absolute miracle because animals and birds often do get stuck in grills of cars, Patricia, but they do not survive. Any injuries? She, she seemed fine, but I wanted her there for a few hours just to make sure she was, and she seemed absolutely fine. She was walking. Just to check the wings, because of course it could have been a broken wing. Yeah. And to make sure that she that the stress levels went down. So, in fairness, Michael, he, he followed all the instructions. We dropped down a box to him. Um, and Ray, on the way home, um, well, actually, <laughs> no, he, yeah, he bought he brought his passenger back. He bought his passenger back. <laughs> uh, she didn't pay any 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 taxi fee at all. But in the meantime, I did ring a friend of mine, Jess Simpson, Valley Job. I have a few people I call. Um, who are very, very good on my life. Just to make sure that everything we were doing was correct, I've Charlie Lee there at Skibbereen Garden Centre. I've got Reese Eaton, Eaton there in Skibbereen and Jess Sims in Ballet Hub. So Jess said, fine. So he advised, yes, bring her back. And I really thought that, I did think of putting up an appeal, as I said, but I thought this, Ray knows exactly where he tipped her yeah. and where she came from. So she went in the box. So what I said, put her in the box, cover it with a towel or a blanket, which they did. And Ray, luckily, brought her back and dropped her off. And I don't know if you've seen the video of her release. I haven't. I haven't yet. I, oh, I certainly will. I will. It's, it's, it's up on your Facebook page. Yes, it is. And I just want to really thank Michael Dempsey and the boys there because they did a wonderful job. They did everything that they were instructed to do. And it all worked out perfectly. And for them to take the time, because as you know, builders are up to 90 at the moment. Yeah, we need them. We need them more and than we ever. we need them. Yeah. So Michael now has um, developed a new... Nickname, he's called the West Cork Duck Whisperer, I hear, from his wife. <laughs> oh, <laughs> isn't it great? And, and, and I love to see the kindness like that because the unfortunately the there's, there's so much cruelty when it comes to yeah. animals in, in this Absolutely. country. But the flip side of it is there is so they much there's so much love and kindness for animals as well and that's what needs to get celebrated a lot Absolutely. more than, than, than the cruelty. Absolutely. And how she survived 45 minutes in the grill of a car from Ballygarvan to Clonakilty is a miracle because they would rarely survive that. But Michael removed her and he really, he knew what to do. He knew to keep the wings tight, how to handle her. And it's a, such a lovely story. Come Easter now. It's just a wonderful welfare story. Well done. Because well, you often right. hear of, of cats climbing in under the bonnet of a car and, yes. can, and can, can travel huge distances. Yes, we always advise people just to bang the bonnet of a car like that just before they leave just to make sure always get in the habit of doing it because cats can go up in, into the as you say up into the engine mm. particularly uh, in cold uh, weather if, there, if there's yes. heat you know the way cats, yes. are, cats are attracted yes, uh, to, uh, to heat so how are you doing at the West Cork Animal Welfare Group are oh, you busy as always? Pretty full on at the moment is it? It's an avalanche at the moment um, just the amount of dogs and cats that people are surrendering or don't want anymore and I think even at this stage, our waiting list has been abandoned because we're just taking it on emergency cases at the moment and helping what we can, giving advice where we can, Patricia. We're actually trying to help people to actually be able to hold on to their dogs. I mean, there is the renting issue, which, of course, you'll know well about. Yeah, yeah. There, there also people can maybe find a relative friend to walk the dog. People are all worried that they can't give it enough time. But it, the the most important thing in rescue is to give us time, is not to say we're moving next week, we're moving tomorrow, we're moving. And this 
there's nothing we can do in a day or two. We need time. Time is very precious. Um, is the cost of living crisis affecting some families? It Tara? probably is. Yes, yeah. it probably is. Even when people are adopting now, we actually go through everything with vet care because a vet, as you know yourself, you can take an animal to a vet and if something is wrong, it can be a few hundred. We also are asking people to look into insurance if they can afford it because it does help with the big, with the bigger operations and stuff. And also maybe doggy daycare. But the one thing is if, if anybody really wants a job or to an employment is to actually set themselves up as a proper insured dog walker and daycare to look after people's dogs because it really would, it really, there isn't really many people around who are doing this. And it would be a great job for someone, a great opportunity if people want to work with animals. Yeah, but they yeah. can't have their own animals, but they could actually set up a business. That's a good idea. That is a good idea. Yes. OK. All right. Listen, somebody says quack, quack. Good story. OK, yes, thank quack, you. Quack. OK, listen, Tori. It is quackers. <laughs> uh, it's a pleasure as always uh, to talk you with too. you. And you do fantastic work at okay. uh, the Animal Welfare Group. Keep it up. But thanks for joining thank us today. Thank you. Bye bye. Good afternoon to you, uh, Tori Joyce. And well done to everybody that was involved in the rescue of that uh, duck, that female wild mallard. Uh, earlier on in uh, the week and and somebody is referencing the fact that those two nasty potholes that were on Bridge Street in Mallow has been uh, sorted out. We were to- we've been talking about those for, for quite a few weeks. Actually somebody suggested, who will remain nameless somebody suggested that they were done uh, in time for the St. Patrick's Day Parade because people would have, it was on the area where the parade would have been, uh, where some of the people would have been walking, would have had people maybe injuring themselves. So somebody said that that could have been, I don't know if that was the reason that it was done or not but listen, glad that those potholes have been sorted and I'm just seeing this is uh, breaking news from I'm seeing it somebody sent it in to me from the what newspapers this the Irish Daily Mirror that the University Hospital in Waterford is closed to visitors it's due to a significant outbreak of COVID-19 so just when you think COVID-19 is gone uh, completely uh, they've the, the hospital have said they're closed to all visitors due to the outbreak the outbreak is directly affecting three wards but precautions are now in place for the entire hospital in Waterford visiting can be arranged by contacting the relevant managers blah 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 blah. and they're just they're only allowing uh, on exceptional cir- circumstances people into critically ill patients so it must be quite a serious uh, outbreak and I don't think we've heard of a hospital have to do that in quite some time to actually stop visitors because of uh, COVID-19. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Let's go to the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket, part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group, where Jane Pickett, our resident vet, uh, joins us. Um, good afternoon to you, Jane. Good afternoon, Patricia. And you are very welcome. Let me get straight into questions. This was one actually that came in uh, last week, the week before, and I didn't get around to it. And I promised the listener I would. They're having a problem with two male Jack Russells. Now, they're old enough dogs, a 10 year old and a 13 year old. Always got on like a house in, on fire. They always slept together, for example, in one kennel. But lately, happens around 10 o'clock every night as they're settling down for the night. One dog is kicking the other dog out of the kennel won't leave him back in. The fellow that's outside then is barking to get back in and it can go on all night. The neighbours are starting to complain. So wondering any remedy for this and why would it suddenly happen? Okay, this is a really interesting one. So if we have an environment where we have two dogs, you know, there's always going to be a little bit of a dynamic between them. It's like humans. We all have different personalities. We have different ways of getting on and the same goes for dogs. Um, if it was a case that it was younger dogs, I'd be saying, well, you know, is there a bit of a dominance issue here? Is somebody a little bit more dominant and, and the other a little bit more submissive? And, I, you know, 
going down the route of castration tactically um, in that situation can can help to settle down the pyrodynamic, but that's something you'd want to discuss with the vet um, in your own particular situation. But that doesn't sound like the case here. It sounds like they're older dogs. So this is a well kind of, uh, you know, a, a well-formed relationship. I would wonder if for some reason one of the patient, one of the dogs is maybe a little bit more either uncomfortable and maybe needs a bit more space to stretch out when he's sleeping at night than he was before. I suppose, you know, there's a number of things that could be going on here and I'm not saying for definite it's that, but that would be the first thing that comes to mind. Well, you know, do we have an older pet that might have some slightly creaky, achy joints where they would have comfortably kind of curled up and slept with another dog before, are they needing a bit more space and comfort to stretch out now than they did before and they're kind of barking and kicking the other little dog out? Um, that's a possibility. What I would say is, though, you know, if this dynamic between the two of them has changed and nothing obviously outwardly has changed that you can kind of know of when you're kind of assessing the situation yourself in your own home, I would say, you know, it might be best to try and facilitate it. Um, if for one reason or another, one dog now feels that they need a bit of space in the evenings, then, you know, if it's possible, I suppose, space-wise, financially, to give them a second kennel. Yeah, so yeah, because it's very annoying. And I, you can understand why the neighbours are complaining. There's nothing worse yeah. than a dog barking. So maybe the second kennel uh, might be the solution. Good luck with that. Mm-hmm. Dennis, one of our listeners who's listening oh, listening in the UK in Oxford has been on. He's got a Springer Spaniel. It's a one-year-old. And he recently vomited up a stone. And apologies to anybody having food at the moment. There was yellow vomit with it. Now, it seems OK since. But Dennis is wondering, is, is any cause for concern? Okay, so vomiting up a stone is a bit of a cause for concern because I suppose eating things that they're not meant to and the biggies that we normally see in clinic are stones, gravel, sticks, toys, objects from the house. That's always a cause for concern because, you know, that pet might have vomited up whatever it ate, that stone, and that might be the end of it. It may have been the first and last time they'll ever do it. Who knows? In which case, as long as they seem otherwise really well in themselves, full of the joys of life and are continuing to eat now and there's been no further vomiting it may be okay what i will say though is if they seem in any way not okay in themselves or if they're not eating or continuing to vomit or they just don't look quite right i'd say definitely warrants a visit to the vet because it could be that they might have vomited up one stone but there may be many in there um so it is really something that i would say it depends on the situation it depends on how your pet is in themselves i would say if in any doubt pop them to your vet um, but if they seem otherwise well, you may be able to keep an eye on them. But one thing I would say is if they're if they're eating stones or eating objects and things they shouldn't do, the likelihood is this may not be the first time they've done it. Um, and quite often we may have pets in for other things and we'll, we'll incidentally find objects that may have been in the stomach for quite a while in there, sometimes causing kind of low-grade chronic issues. So, you know, keep it an is eye a bit of concern. So I would yeah. say, yeah, keep an eye on it, but make sure they don't get access to any other stones in future if you can. OK, pet advice, please. I'm an 11-month-old Cocker Spaniel whose food will be changing shortly. He's moving over to adult food. Can Jane recommend a specific brand or protein content for my dog? He does suffer from itching. And I'm wondering, is there any good brand that Jane would recommend? Okay, um, so it really depends on what's available in your locality. And I personally would say the best person to speak to about this is your own local vet. 
and your own local vet nursing team because they will know what's available local to you but also they'll know your own pet's background history I think it's kind of interesting that they're younger but they suffer from itching so kind of 10-11 months is still quite young to have a, a dog appear with itching so it may be that they might be able to discuss with you well is there something in the background not food related that might be causing the itching or would a food help with that so I think that's maybe a slightly separate issue that I think is worth speaking to the vet about because obviously young in their life we want to you know give them the best shot at having really comfortable healthy skin long term so if we're getting little kind of niggles of of skin issues and itching this early on it's really important to tackle that before before it becomes a, a bigger problem later on in life as regard the food itself good quality food you tend to get what you pay for and I'm, I'm aware like that the I suppose the economic climate means that we're not all able to spend a lot of money on our dog's food. And that's okay. That's absolutely fine. What I will say in that situation is even more vital to speak to your vet and vet nurse because they'll be able to guide you given your financial situation or, you know, if, if, if you have a, have kind of a, an open, open financial mind to what you what you would put in, into the dog food, then they'll be able to help you with that and find something that's suitable and fits your budget. As regards protein content, this is something that's often bandied around. You know, some diets are really high protein and people go looking for high protein. I would say you want a balance. You don't want high or low protein. You want a good balanced diet and your vet will be able to recommend that depending on the breed and your, I suppose, the, the, the size of your dog. As regards specific brands, I wouldn't like to say because there's plenty out there. But, you know, just make sure it's appropriately tested. So the good ones, I suppose, there is a thing called AFCO testing and um, there is a European equivalent as well. Um, and that just means that, that that food has been tested in, you know, dogs over their life stage to ensure that they grow a good, healthy skeleton and they maintain a good body weight and lean muscle mass over time. So have a chat to your vet about that. Um, and I'm sure they'll be able to lead you in the right direction. OK, Tina has a cat who keeps getting reoccurring fleas. I'm doing everything to get rid of them. Any tips? please oh my heart goes out to you um having fleas in the houses is really a, a massive heartache um so you know you must have the patience of a saint here I would question if you're repeatedly getting fleas, check what product you're using and check how you're applying it. So just double check that you're getting a good reputable product either coming from your vet or a pharmacist um, because they tend to have the, the kind of stronger, safer ingredients in them. Um, so check the product you're giving and then check how often you're meant to be giving it. Sometimes that's on the packet. Sometimes it's based on your pet's risk. So have a chat to your vet um, about that, about how often you should be doing it and also how you should be applying it. So some 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 flea treatments are tablet form that's simple enough some are spot-ons and it's really important if it's a spot-on to make sure it goes on the back of the neck where the pet can't access it to lick it off but that you're putting it on skin directly that it's not sitting on the hair above the skin because that means it won't be soaking in the other thing is environmental management everything you can safely put on for a hot boil wash and um, that your pet would have contact with do because it'll be killing the eggs that they, the fleas have lead, laid in the environment and it's probably likely you'll need to use an environmental flea spray usually you can get those from the vets as well so that you can spray the areas the big hot spots tend to be um the corners of rooms edges of carpets skirting boards they really do hide everywhere these little eggs that the fleas live so you just get waves of fleas hatching out um, and causing an issue so there's a few things to think about there have a chat with your vet just double check your product interval, how it's applied and get some environmental management going. But best of luck, you'll get there. OK, Helen wants to know, is it possible to get an antibiotic cream that you can buy over the counter? She's got a cat with a scratch that appears to be infected. Can you just purchase okay. antibiotic cream? 
No, unfortunately you can't. And there's a number of reasons for that. And the main one really is your pet's safety. Um, so antibiotics are something that are prescription only, both in a human and veterinary medicine. And that's important because we need to make sure that the antibiotics we do have don't get overused and create resistance because we want to have antibiotics in our arsenal to treat disease where it's needed in 10 and 20 years time and if we're not careful that won't be the case um so it's really important as well for the safety of your pet because if there was a situation where you know you had a cut or a situation it didn't need an antibiotic or even a situation where an antibiotic might be exactly the wrong thing to do and it might need alternative treatment then we're kind of overusing antibiotics but also it may not be safe for our pet so really if you have a pet that has a, a cut or a wound that looks like it's infected you really need to visit the vet because things are sometimes not as simple as they appear on the surface and your vet will be the best person to assess the damage assess the extent of infection whether it needs antibiotics and then most importantly be able to prescribe you the best fit antibiotic that's safe for your pet most likely to be effective in that situation so i wouldn't get something over the counter we shouldn't legally be able to get antibiotics over okay. the counter to speak to your vet okay listen we leave it there thank you for that have a great week and we'll chat again next thursday you too Thank thanks you very much jane that's jane pickett the islandwood veterinary hospital in newmarket part of the mill street veterinary group just a quick number of calls just to give a quick mention uh, to uh, a listener was listening to the mum who got on to us about the son who's colorblind and uh, has been turned down as a an apprentice at mechanic uh, somebody was went on to say that that lad should contact cit which is um, mtu now and have a look at courses they have an offer there's lots of other avenues he could look at within the mechanic area where colours aren't an issue and the staff at MTU are very helpful so we'll pass that on Solace have come back to us they're looking into the query about the colour blindness and is it possible for this young lad to do the test with the colour corrected uh, glasses so hopefully they'll be back on to us by uh, tomorrow a couple of people have been on about dogs Jer says there are dogs running out onto the road in Ballyno at the moment. Can you warn motorists to please be a w- be drive with care? And Ward and Burks, who are working on the roadworks at Peddler's Cross in Band, on the Band into Clonakilty Road, have been on to say a dog ran onto the roadworks there. They describe it as a cocker spaniel. They've managed to catch the dog and they've put it into a van but they don't want to leave the dog back out because anyone who knows that that road there by Peddler's Cross it's an extremely busy road and they're fearful that the dog is going to get uh, run over so they're, they they have it in the building site in a van looking after it if somebody is missing a cocker spaniel in the Peddler's Cross area on the Bandon to Clon Road. Can you pop down to the roadworks, please? They're looking after your dog for you. That's where I've got to leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon, and we're back with you tomorrow morning at 10. Until then, I'm Patricia Messenger. Very good afternoon. On C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 